Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer Radio Show, brought to you by Calm Box Feeds. My name is Andy Schneider, but most know me as the Chicken Whisperer, author of The Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens, author of Chicken Fact or Chicken Poop, National Spokesperson for the USDA Biosecurity for Birds Program, and Editor-in-Chief of Chicken Whisperer Magazine. Each week, I welcome experts in their field to share their knowledge about different topics, including backyard poultry, show poultry, heritage poultry, gardening, cooking, homesteading, and, of course, living a self-sufficient lifestyle. Be sure to visit us online at chickenwhisperer.com, where you can follow us on Twitter, Become a fan on Facebook and subscribe to the totally free digital edition of Chicken Whisperer Magazine. Once again, I would like to thank all of you for tuning in today to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by our good friends at Kalmbach Feeds. At Kalmbach Feeds, our layer pellets and crumbles are all natural, antibiotic-free, with no animal byproducts. Formulated just for laying hens, Our feed is fortified with essential amino acids and calcium to ensure maximum production of nutritious, tasty, strong-shelled eggs. From our family to yours, feed your hens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome, goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Find a dealer at kalmbachfeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H, feeds.com. Or order your layer pellets and crumples today on amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of the Chicken Whisperer. When you need an incubator, think Brincy, the incubation specialists. Brincy has been a world-leading manufacturer of quality incubators for almost 40 years. They manufacture incubators that hold anywhere from 7 to 380 eggs with high-quality electronic and digital controls, including precise humidity controls and programmable egg turning, all at surprisingly affordable prices. Enter the coupon code WHISPER at checkout and receive 10% off your entire order. Order your new incubator today at Brincy.com. That's B-R-I-N-S-E-A.com. 
Ideal Poultry has been a family-owned and operated business since 1937. Their business is built on customer service and quality poultry. From rare white and brown egg layers to broilers, ducks, turkeys, and bantams, Ideal Poultry is the largest supplier of backyard poultry in the United States, shipping close to 5 million chicks annually. Visit them online at IdealPoultry.com. That's IdealPoultry.com. I'm about to say something that may shock you. There's a chance the mealworm treats you're feeding your chickens are doing them more harm than good. Most of the mealworms sold in the U.S. are hollow and empty because of how they're processed, leaving them with little or no nutritional value. The problem is chickens love healthy insects like mealworms, but there hasn't been a way to get access to them in large quantities. Until now. The only mealworm company I endorse is The Honest Worm because of the way they raise and process their mealworms. Now, they've set aside some bags only for my listeners to try for free. Just cover the cost of shipping and handling. Head on over to freemealworms.com. That's freemealworms.com. If you don't see sold out at the top of the page, that means there's still some bags left, but only for a limited time. Go to freemealworms.com and get your free bag today. With more than 25 years in the business, Eggland's Best is known for its highest standards in taste, nutrition, freshness, and quality. And now the brand is bringing its expertise to backyard farmers nationwide. Introducing Eggland's Best Backyard Chicken Feed. Feeding Eggland's Best Chicken Feed to backyard chickens will result in superior eggs with six times more vitamin D, 25% less saturated fat, more than double the omega-3s, 10 times more vitamin E, and more than double the amount of vitamin B12 than ordinary eggs. Eggland's Best Chicken Feed comes in several varieties for layers and chicks, and they even offer an organic variety. Eggland's Best Chicken Feed is now available in select farm supply, pet, mass merchandiser, and grocery retailers nationwide, including Tractor Supply. Pick up a bag for your backyard flock today. Hi, I'm country music artist Nathan Osmond, and you're listening to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. And the mighty bird against prejudice continues his fight for law and order. So when you hear that cry in the sky, you'll know it's Super Chicken. Alrighty, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. And uh, I've got an instant news flash here. News flash. Um, apparently, this just came across the desk that um, um, green tea and um, apple cider vinegar uh, uh, it does not combat uh, coccidiosis for you bloggers out there. La, 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 la. Okay, I had to do that. I was just in that in that mood for a second. But welcome to the show. Thank you very much for staying with us today. Uh, we got a great show lined up for today with poultry scientist Dr. Bridget McRae. We're doing Poultry Research Translated, one of my favorite shows that she uh, most graciously comes on the show and does. And basically, she takes a lot of this uh, lo- uh, uh, recent science uh, articles and studies and just digs deep, deep, deep into research 
and, and then she translates this for, for us, you know, kind of lay back there our poultry keepers so we can understand it better, and then we can maybe utilize some of that in our backyard or see how we can utilize or if it doesn't pertain to the chickens in our backyard. <clears throat> I'm going to give you a perfect example of how this is important, okay? Um, a while back, and we have this on uh, Factor Chicken Poop. <clears throat> I think it's in the book, but I know it's at our website, factorchickenpoop.com, uh, where a blogger, just at the end of the day, there's no other explanation, didn't read the study thoroughly, didn't understand the study, didn't know the outcome of the study, whatever, just, just way over their head, <clears throat> And she took basically maybe just a tagline or just something you know, within the study that she saw that might have been relevant and said that, um, oh, my gosh, what was it? Probiotics given to chicks will combat, what was it? Was it coccidia, salmonella maybe later in life? I don't know. It was something totally crazy. And number one, oh, eggs. Uh, I, think, I think giving this something to the chickens when they're chicks would end up preventing uh, or reducing the risk of salmonella in the eggs later. <clears throat> okay, I, I don't know where they got that information from the study because the study was on broilers. <laughs> so maybe they just overlooked that. I mean, you know, yeah, broilers lay, you know, hey, you got to have breeding stock, right? But but it was just, it was really interesting and a perfect example. And there's other examples too. Well, um, I'll give you another example real quick. <clears throat> Um, we've seen where they've read a study and they'll say something like, well, uh, this prevents this or this treats that. Um, and oregano is, is a good example. And uh, there have been some really good studies that show the benefits of oregano. There's more to it than that. Uh, in some commercial uh, houses, <clears throat> oh, oregano is going to prevent this and help this and da 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 But what, 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 what they don't do is read deeper and realize that just adding some oregano and sprinkling it over their feed does not do anything. So if they read the study or had somebody like Dr. McRae to, to, to kind of translate the study and dig deeper into it, you realize that the oregano was only working if you also gave this, this, and this, and you had to give it in this route, and you had to give it in this dose, you had to give it in this. And, and, and so they're grabbing this information and then and, putting it on their blogs and forums that, hey, oregano prevents this, this, and this. And then you got people going out, going down the aisle in the grocery store, buying oregano they sprinkle on their pizza, sprinkle it on their chicken feed, and then they think they're benefiting their chickens because of the study that it says nothing of the sort. So those are two good examples we've seen firsthand um, here at Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, and that's why we uh, love the show. I, will, I love the show. Uh, poultry research translated with Dr. McRae because she'll come on, she'll have some studies relevant, and then kind of translate what, what at the end of the day, what does this mean? What does it mean for us as backyarders? Can we benefit from this at all? And uh, it, like I said, it's just absolutely awesome. And I love it. I want to remind everybody, I told you about this last week on the show, the brand spanking new, brand new uh, Chicken Whisperer Magazine website is up and running. ChickenWhispererMagazine.com chickenwhisperermagazine.com, brand new. Um, I've been there a few times this week just navigating, seeing how easy it is to use, how easy it is to find these articles written by poultry professionals like today's guest, Dr. McRae, and others like Dr. Pateski and just the whole nine yard, everybody who writes for the magazine. Um, and um, brand new, so we invite you to go and check that out. While you're there, you can subscribe to the digital edition, and if you want that magazine, the physical magazine, 
mailed to you in your mailbox, there's a way to subscribe there as well. Nine ninety-five a year. I mean, really. Um, I was looking at some poultry magazines in a big box retail store the other day, and that's what a lot of them charge for one magazine. Nine ninety-five. I, I was shocked. Here you're getting four magazines a year. Nine ninety-five. And then look at who's writing in the magazine. So science-based, fact-based, study-based information for you. Um, let me think of what else is going on. You know that I signed that uh, book contract for the third book. That'll be coming out here probably hopefully by next spring. And uh, we're working on a southern tour, southeastern tour. And I believe Palmbach Beach right now is working on getting that uh, orchestrated. And probably the last two weeks of August are hopefully, keeping my fingers crossed, sometime in September where it'll be a little bit cooler down here in the southeast. I don't know exactly what states. Probably not Florida, but Georgia northward, but not above Kentucky. That uh, gives you an idea. Probably no further west than, I don't know, Alabama, uh, that kind of southeastern North Carolina, South Carolina. Uh, maybe not Virginia. Maybe a little too too far north. So, um, but yeah, looking forward to that tour and uh, getting that done this fall as well. No new animals right now on my homestead. Still got the two cows, the two lambs, the goat, uh, the great Pyrenees, the plentiful chickens. Um, and uh, But this weekend, Saturday, we're going out getting two hogs, uh, or baby pigs, as the kids like to talk to talk about them. So we're getting two hogs this Saturday and a kitten, which I guess people will, will, will I guess they'll categorize it as a barn cat, because um, it'll be an outside cat. And, um, but it'll be a kitten. But old enough, well, well over enough. We were supposed to get it about a month ago, but um, we didn't make our way out there because the two pigs we wanted, we didn't end up getting, and now we're getting two more from a different litter. Um, and then we got to start. Uh, we cleared another probably half acre uh, of, on our farm, and uh, that's going to be half, I think a half acre. Maybe it's closer to three quarters of an acre we cleared. I think it was. So we cleared probably three quarters of somewhere between three quarters and an acre reporters probably and um uh we've got to fence that in just like we did the front for goats so we got the one goat uh our male um nigerian dwarf and then we're going to get uh, probably four to six females and they'll be in the back pasture if you will and we're also in about five weeks getting another great pyrenees we got a puppy in the front he is now four months somewhere between four and five months old uh, Ruger, and then we're getting Sig uh, here in about five, and that's a female, uh, and she'll protect the back pasture. So that's what's going on at the homestead uh, right now. I will tell you this. Yesterday I went out and made a two-hour drive to and two-hour drive from, and I picked up this awesome – I've seen them advertised for years, the back of magazines. They, they primarily do magazine advertising, but uh, and you'll know what I'm talking about because they make all kinds of really neat creative uh, equipment for homesteaders, but it's the DR brand, and I believe that stands for Done Right. DR, but this is the DR brand, and they make brush cutters, stump grinders, and all kinds of cool stuff. Um, but I saw, I've been looking for one, but I saw in the Georgia Farmers Market Bulletin, and that's a great publication, by the way. Um, a gentleman about two hours away had one uh, for sale. It was a DR Power Wagon. Ooh, these things are sweet. And, I mean, he had everything. He had the sulky that goes behind it that you can actually sit on that connects to the, the power wagon. He had both beds, the plastic bed that looks more like kind of a rounded where you can mix some uh, concrete or mix things in or maybe uh, – uh, anyway. And then there could be original fork bed, and then, of course, it converts to a flat bed. It's got the 6.75 horsepower engine. It's awesome. And I couldn't believe the price he was asking for it because these things retail that model 
retails for 2000 and then there's one with a little bit bigger engine that retails for 2500 And um, this one's a little bit of older models. They've got new ones on their website now, a little bit fancier, a little upgraded thing, and more modern. <laughs> but um, they, they were like this for years. And I said, hey, this is going to be handy around here. So we went out there, and let me tell you, it was great. We've had so much success buying from the Farmer's Bulletin here uh, that the State of Georgia Department of Ag runs, and uh, it's fabulous because we bought our livestock trailer from there. Wonderful condition, great deal. Got it from a retired guy, um, had a kind of gentleman's farm, raised cattle, beautiful condition, a great price. Same thing with this, really good condition, garage kept, uh, surprised, been using it all, all morning, all afternoon yesterday. Kids were even using it. And it is fabulous. It's got the dump bed on it. So um, that that's exciting. We have that, a new tool here for the homestead to move around heavy loads. And um, it's, uh, it's it's quite a job. I post something on uh, the Chicken Whisper Facebook page about it, a little video, because it, it's, it's really a cool tool to have around the homestead. And then Big Hoss, the um, big barter tractor, um, it's, uh, it's in the shop, but it should be out here hopefully by Monday. And... Um, you know, it's, 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 you know, y'all, everybody listening is probably related to this, but when I was talking to the gentleman who was working on it, we're kind of not restoring it, but really go, doing a major overhaul on it. It's a 1989 Simplicity with the 17-horsepower Kohler Magnum. They don't make that engine anymore. And, that, and when you hear a, a mechanic uh, who's owned his own business, a store, physical store, doing lawnmower repair and, and small engine repair and tractor repair for about 30 to 40 years, when he stands in front of you and says, this is the best engine ever made, I'm, 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 I, I, I hate they don't make it anymore, but I know why they don't make it anymore, because they've all gone to making engines that last maybe three to five years, so you have to keep buying them over and over and over again. So, you know, kind of job security for the company. But um, that made me feel really good, and, and, and knowing what I paid for this thing, um, he says, you know, I, I know somebody right this second, this second, I can make a phone call that will buy this engine from you for $500, period. Um, and... Um, I'll just tell you right now because it was amazing. I found it on Craigslist here. Low. No, it was a, a Facebook marketplace, $100. And, and, and the way I got it for that, he really wanted 350 for it. And I really liked it. I liked the old style. Everything's made out of cast iron steel. The whole, you know. And uh, <laughs> I went out and looked at it. I got on it. I drove it around. His, uh, I mowed with it, mowed half his backyard with it. It was running fine, no problems. And then I, uh, I said, I'd like to look underneath it. Do you have a floor jack? And so he got on it to drive it around at the front of his house to put it up on a floor jack. And it stalled out on him on the way there. And then he couldn't get it started again. So he got really frustrated. I mean, how embarrassing. We've all been there. You know, you take your car to the dealer because it's making a noise. And then you get there and it doesn't make the noise or it's not acting up. And, and so this situation, it ran fine for me. It stalled out for him. He tinkered with it. Couldn't get it started again. Got frustrated. It was hot. And he said, $100 bill and you can take it home. <laughs> I said, sold. I'll be here tomorrow with my trailer. And so... um yeah, and it's uh, I, sometimes you come across those deals, and many of our listeners have too. But I couldn't pass that one up at all, so that was a good deal. But that's what's going around here at the Hair of the Homestead uh, on Tuesday, two more. And um, and um, I'll do some videos for you with those. They're, they're not, I wouldn't say by far they're the perfect coupe. They're even not, in my mind, the perfect coupe. And I've been searching for months, really, for the perfect coupe, and I can't find the perfect coupe for at least four hours. So this is close, but there's still some things I'll admit I don't like about it. 
but uh, I'll do some implementation uh, with it a little bit later and uh, customization and things like that. But at least I wanted to get them here so I can get these uh, bigger birds out of the uh, brooders. Uh, we already put seven roosters out in the field, and uh, they're doing really good. But um, we got I got my layers. And so I got two coops being delivered, I think, on Tuesday, one for the front pasture, one for the back pasture. So anyhow, hey, Poultry Research Translated with my good friend, Dr. Bridget McRae, and she is on live now, and she's going to really just educate us and dig deep and explain some of these things she's going to share with us today and tell us how maybe some of these things can uh, be utilized in our backyard. Dr. McRae, thank you very much for joining us today. Hey. How are you doing? Hey. Um, it's hot. Well, I was out there. Um, no I got everything ready for the show. <laughs> and I had about 30 minutes left before the show started, and I got the kids. I said, hey, we're going outside. we got to move some dirt from the dirt pile. We had some topsoil delivered. We're moving it over to uh, where the storm shelter is, fillings from around it. And uh, I got two loads done with that, using that awesome power wagon. But, uh, yeah, man, it's just so hot. So you really have to get up really early. Get outside, do your yep. stuff, and then get back in literally by, I mean, really 10 o'clock, but I mean, uh, and, then, yeah. and then stay inside, get, you know, and then maybe, maybe here, like, maybe you can chance it to go out at 5, but really 6 to 9, because yeah. right now, you know, staying light till 9, 6 to 9 well, is, today's man, the we are working our tails year, off. remember? <sighs> is that today? Okay, I thought today's... it was yesterday, Jen's birthday. No, is today. Okay. today is summer solstice. It's today, longest day of the year, Jen, you hear that? Yeah, I can't stand it. I can't stand it in the fall when you, when you lose that hour and then it gets dark at five o'clock. I mean, that's all the man hours that we. I mean, the, the amount of work that you're on the on the homestead from five to nine in the evening is staggering. It just blows my mind. All four of us get out and do stuff, and so when it gets dark at five, we're like, oh my gosh, we've like lost so much productivity. I can't stand it. I really don't like it at all. I like the cooler temperatures, but I don't like that that losing that. I got a question for you, so Andy. Early. Yeah, I have an answer. Um. I'm looking at this Eglin's best. They've got yeah. mini pellets. Uh-huh. Yeah. So how yeah. many mini pellets are in a 10-pound bag? Have you counted them all? <laughs> I have not counted them all. But you know what also about that is that – That should be a contest. <laughs> that should be a contest that you well, do. <laughs> I'm willing to bet based on the feed places that I've visited and walked through and looked at their operation that it's probably not exact to the pellet for every bag. <laughs> so, you know, we could say this bag of pellets, not not just, but this bag I'm holding right here, what is the, you know, pellet count for the mini pellets? Hey, did you know mm-hmm. that their feed also is, pa- is, is pasteurized? I don't know if anybody else is doing that. But yeah. Just actually pa- they take it one step further um, to prevent any kind of pathogens, and they pasteurize I like it. I also so, like that yep. they do 10-pound bags. That's kind of cool. But I was checking it out, and I was also checking out your web page. Yes. And the you've new got magazine a new one? open and shut contest with a chicken coop door. Yeah, for the coop door. I do. Nice. With even a, a countdown timer in the upper left-hand corner. Cool. That's cool. Nicely done. <laughs> so, Nicely thank done. You. Thank you very much. Yeah, so uh, yeah, the new website's up and running. We do have the contest going on. They can win a tube door. And, um, yeah, all kinds of cool stuff. And they can, re- you know, it's just, uh, I don't know. I like my magazine. And I remember when they told me they were, you know, 
going to do the magazine, and I was just like ecstatic because you and my folks, I mean, I just I had the I had the team all together already. They're like, oh, we need to kind of work to see who contribute. I said, oh, that's going to, you know, I don't even have to, I don't even have to think twice about who's going to contribute <laughs> to the magazine. That, that's a done deal because of my my original um, team you know, I, and all the resources that the original team has. It's just un- unlimited, so it's it's awesome. So um, it's like the resource she gave me this morning. I sent her out uh, and a very nice email, very detailed, and I'm waiting to hear back from her regarding that project. So. Um, I'm hoping she'll say yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so what do you have I found for us some today? really interesting articles for you. And they all come out Great. of Europe. So oh, okay. let's start with, because, um, you know, they do, do they, things differently in Europe. And a lot of people I was gonna say, here do, in the United States. Do they know States, what they're doing over there? <laughs> <laughs> different laws, different rules. And a lot of times people here in the United States like what they see over in Europe. And they try to huh. emulate it, but sometimes due to differences, they can or they can't or they can only get halfway there. So this one is um, effects of a meal feeding regimen and the availability of fresh alfalfa on the gross performance and meat and bone quality of broilers. So how did they do it? Um, okay, first of all, why did they do this? Um, they wanted to find a feeding regimen that encourages good pasture um, use in either fast-growing broilers or slow-growing broilers that are being raised under free-range conditions. Um, So, you know, this is something that both large-scale commercial poultry producers pay attention to, but also medium-scale poultry producers. Um, there are companies oh, now said, that offer. Go ahead. You said okay. They're com- they're they're comparing quality. Tell me what you're they're comparing. They wanted again. to to identify a feeding regimen a regimen that encourages good pasture use. Um, got it. Okay. Got it. Okay. So, why do we care? Who cares about this? Well, commercial guys, they care because if they're trying to find their niche or, um, you know, maybe laws don't permit them to do um, what we do here in the United States in non-organic systems, which is keep them in broiler houses, uh, you've got to have efficiency or you lose your shirt. Um, This is also important to medium-scale producers and to small-scale producers. So all around, this is a really neat study, and it came out of Turkey. Funny, we're talking about chickens in the country called Turkey. But, yes, we are. So we've got fast-growing broilers. We're very familiar with that in the United States. You can go into any grocery store, and that's the majority of what you're going to see in the poultry section of the meats case. Then you've got slow-growing broilers. That's more of a rare item. Who wants that? Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's restaurants. Sometimes it's the direct consumer when they're dealing more with a a smaller, medium-scale producer. Sometimes it's it's the actual families themselves. So what they did in this particular um, system, they, they looked at these two types of broilers, fast and slow. Um, being mm-hmm. fed 
either a, a regular, you know, ad libitum, eat as much as you want, food is always in front of you and available to you, broiler diet. Or they did meal feeding. And, um, you know, they, it was interesting. Um, with meal feeding, the idea is, you know, there's, there's a lot of research out there that says, you know, some chickens perform well, some chickens don't perform well. What they wanted to do um, is, you know, if, if a chicken's always got food in front of them, are they really going to use the pasture? Mm-hmm. Um, they wanted to see if they could hypothesize that hunger derived from permanent quantitative feed restrictions would lead to exploration behavior. And we know that 60% of the chicken's exploration behavior. So they wanted to see if the meal-fed chickens are likely to show more foraging activity in their outdoor environment. Um, then they kind of were looking at um, what would be the effects of the feed restriction on the intensity of the pasture use, um, performance and meat quality of the chicken. They didn't know. They wanted to find these things out. Um, we know that chickens that move around a lot more don't necessarily um, are not necessarily as efficient in putting on meat um, because there's increased motor activity. Um, so, you know, they kind of wanted to see that, see what they could find out. Um, so meal, the effect of um, meal feeding regimen, the availability of fresh alfalfa put in front of them um, to see if they do use the outdoor access more readily. And would that affect um, bird performance, meat yield, digestive organs, and um, quality traits of the thigh meat or the breast meat, and the bones themselves? Um, any any detrimental effects or even positive effects on the, the mechanical properties of the bones? Um, so they did this in the spring of two years, two years in a row. Um, 2015 and 2016 in Turkey again and you know they looked at the average daily temperature um, miniature minimum and highs um, you know so you know they looked at rain um, precipitation totals because again we're talking about the slow growing breed that they chose to examine was the Hubbard Red JA87. Um, okay. That's the, the slow growing bird that they used. And the fast was the Ross 308. Common, common bird. Um, they did vaccinate the birds against bursal disease and Newcastle disease. Um, and, you know, they, they had pens, they had pop holes for them to go in and out of. Um, the alfalfa was um, was approximately 40 centimeters, um, covered the range area, and after 22 days of growth, they made it available for consumption. Um, 
the there were perches out in the yard. Food um, food and water was not out in the yard. It was indoors. And they did protect okay. the space from predation, um, net fencing and netting over the outdoor space. So they tried to keep out ground predators and avian mm-hmm. predators, overhead predators. So what they did was... Um, Essentially, they had a two-by-two design. They had either birds that were ad libitum feed or birds that were meal-fed. And the presence of alfalfa or no alfalfa. So birds were either assigned to one of those four groups. And they were mixed sex, males and females, 20 of each per group, so, and they had five replications of um, each pen, so there were about 200 broilers. What were the results? Mm-hmm. So each of those trials was several hundred birds, so they ended up using like 800 birds of each genotype. Fresh alfalfa consumption did not improve growth performance and meat quality attributes. The feeding regimen had significant implications. Um, Meal-fed birds showed a lower body weight and a considerably lower feed consumption rate. So that meant if they weigh less and they eat less, they're going to have a better feed conversion ratio as compared to the birds that always had um, food in front of them. So if you're pinching your pennies, and that's something for you to consider, always have food in front of them or do meal feeding. So the meal feeding, the meal feeding regimen with um, strong feed limitation, it increased the crop and gizzard weight and I, it didn't matter if it was um, slow-growing or fast-growing. Uh, fast-growing birds, uh, the meat from those birds. Um, and when it came to water-holding capacity of the meat, drip loss, cooking loss, and pH in the breast and thigh, they found that by doing the, the meal feeding regimen, you didn't get as good of a result. Um, but feed restriction did demonstrate benefits with um, decreases in muscle fat. That makes sense, right? They're walking around. Slow-growing birds, in slow-growing birds, decreases in protein and dry matter content um, in the breast and thigh muscle were were conclusive. Um, did not there did not seem to be any sort of a treatment effect on the meat yield or the mineral composition of the meat or or any of the bone mechanical properties, regardless of the genotype, whether it was fast-growing or slow-growing. They found in their study, which had a really good number of replications, number of birds examined, did it over a course of a couple of years, thorough, well-designed experiment. Um, It seemed that 
regardless of whether or not the birds had access to alfalfa, um, the meal feeding looked like a good viable way to decrease the feed conversion ratio. Um, and, you know, it'll end up with a leaner carcass, but it's not really going to improve the meat quality. So you just got to be careful on how you market that bird then. You, um, you know, your wording will have to be very specific. But that's something for folks to consider. Now, I don't know if the Hubbard bird would be one that we can gain access to here in the United States because there are there are divisions of companies, genetics companies, that will only sell to mm -hmm. certain regions of the world. But I do know that there are some slow-growing um, meat-type chickens sold here in the United States uh, that is ready and waiting for that market, um, including one here in Alabama that has the ranger. So um, think about that, folks, when you're trying to decide, um, you know, what what are my goals? If, if I want to uh, produce a, a better bird with um, – you got to just be careful. What do you mean by better? Um, right, right. Yes, I was going to say bird, that. And then, and then if, yeah, it can't be meat sure quality characteristics, a... but it could be leaner. That's a sales. And, that's you, definitely a sales. I'm sure there's pitch. a no shortage of studies out there that cause we've, we've talked about it. We've heard about it about how. Now, again, these were kind of both, but, you know, allowing pasture and not and, and scratching and things. But, you know, the a pasture-only bird, can they really get the nutrients they, they require um, as a versus, you know, you have them on pasture, but you got to supplement with some nutritionally balanced feed. Otherwise, just from eating grass all day, they're just not going to get the nutrients to be you know, whether it be a the, the best layer they can be or the best, you know, growth that they can be or the, maybe the healthiest bird because of some of the nutrients they're lacking um, and things like that. So I know there's a boatload out there of that, but like I said, maybe this is kind of a happy combination. You're still providing them that nutritionally balanced feed, and then uh, but they're out and, you know, getting that grass as well, whatever's going to make the yolk more orange and, you know, maybe some more nutrients out in the, you know, they're going to eat those. So, so where would you insects. take this experiment next? Um, I would, I would want to know if the bird is, is that, that have access and do the free ranging or getting all the nutrients that they need for the best life well, possible for whatever you're they, using it for. They they did. They said that there really was no difference between the two in meat yield, mineral composition of the meat, um, and the bones. It didn't matter if it was, um, you know, growing or slow growing. So, to me, my question then becomes, well, this meal feeding, um, is there a specific regimen that would work better for one strain over the other. Because um, that kind of insecurity that where's my next meal coming from so that when food is put in front of them, you know, they're satiated, but right. not over-consuming and not wasting food. Mm, you know, is there, is there a particular pattern? Does it change as they age? That sort of thing. 
Can it be figured out? Does the type of pasture you have it on matter? That sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But alfalfa is a really good choice because it's it's a small leaf for chickens, and you know, I'm sure it affected the the color of the meat, so or at least the skin. Mm-hmm. But there you go. It was just a nice little study. I shouldn't say little. It was a nice big study. <laughs> <laughs> we know how we much take that back. We know how much work goes into that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> one other study that we may have to go to break after this one. Um, okay, we will. But it has to do with where you put the roofs. In a large-scale commercial laying hen operation that is for free-range hens, um, okay. a lot of the companies that had commercial houses had to change the way they were doing things or go out of business. And that include access to the out-of-doors for their laying hens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And... You know, some of those other changes meant that they had to walk away from cages, which meant putting in different kinds of systems on the interior of the chicken house. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way you do that, um, you know, if you've got multiple houses, then you've only got X amount of outdoor space to to let the birds have access to. Um, and people started to very carefully look at this and go, all right. What they those outdoor access points are called pop holes, and a lot of times in the commercial free range systems, the pop holes are all on one side of a building, okay, on one side of a house, and these aviary systems are multi tier. They're not cages, but they're they're levels um, where people can walk and see between the levels, and the chickens can perch on the different levels, but. There's multiple tiers and there's multiple rows that go the length of the house of those tiers. Um, sometimes like five or five to seven high, maybe even like three to five, you know, um, of those long sets of tiers. Um, so there's a chance. That a chicken that's hanging out on the side of the chicken house that's all the way against the back of the house never goes outdoors. Never bothers to. You know, depending on where it is and the social relationship it has to birds inside the house, um, maybe it never figures out that there's pop holes for it to get to. There's like an interior barrier to the the movement within the house. Um, So these researchers that were in the UK, um, they wanted to see about this. Uh, They they went to five commercial flocks um, and the farmers let them come in and kind of paint their chickens. Um, and you've got livestock. You know that there's these kind of paint sticks that they sell. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they took in each flock, uh, they went into the house and took at night, 
when they were roosting. They took 200 birds that were roosting near the pop hole mm-hmm. and, two, and, and marked them one color. And 200 birds that were roosting far from the pop hole and marked them a different color. They used um, hot pink and hot green. And in the previous study, they, they tested um, what colors they could see because what they did is the next day when the chickens were outdoors, they counted how many of each color they saw outdoors. And then concurrently, they counted how many they saw indoors. And in a previous study, they figured out what colors they could actually see well. Um, turns out blue is not it. Um, <laughs> so it's hot pink and hot green, everybody. <laughs> um, and so what they did is they took <laughs> I can just picture this. Some poor grad student <laughs> or undergrad. Um, you know the headlamps? They they used red lights and were painting chickens on one leg. So they just <laughs> this poor chicken's like sleeping, right? And some guy rolls up and starts painting your leg with a giant crayon. Thank goodness you're kind of sleepy and you're like, mm, okay. But I mean, I wonder how fast it takes for that to rub off. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I just have to chuckle at it. Um, good solution because it it will eventually rub off. Um, <laughs> so essentially, they took ten percent of the colony um, of each chicken house and marked them. And you know, next day, um, you know, after they put them back, they 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 were observing them. Um, They looked at specifically um, three time points the next day. Uh, That was 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. And um, they looked at the temperature, the relative humidity, the light levels. Um, When they did these counts, first they did them indoors, and then they went outside to do the counts. Um, So they they couldn't keep counting it during different times of the day um, or else they were going to mess with the bird's normal distribution because when you do these counts you have to move through the house and you're already kind of you know disturbing them so you know if they tried to do this more mm-hmm. if I were to do this maybe again a camera maybe I don't know if you could catch all the birds because remember they're on these multi-level right. um, structures you really do need to walk it so what do you think happened, Andy? Give me your best guess, your hypothesis. Uh, um, hmm. The ones, I don't know, you tell me. <laughs> I'm afraid to guess. You're just giving up. <laughs> um, okay, so the results were, more of the um, the birds that were roosting near the pop holes were observed in the outdoor range I area. Knew it. See, I was going to say that. I was going to say that. Trick question. In yeah, it's in all parts of the outdoor range area. Um, the next day, so you know the distance of the the, the of the space. 
that they used. Um, the distance within the house does have an effect um, on the number of birds that actually make it, make it outdoors. Um, sure. So, correspondingly, in the indoor area, in the section of the house that was far from the popholes, you saw more of the birds that were roosting on that section of the house, on that part yeah. of the house. So, um, you know, it's something to think about. I think that's about. a lot of people's argument. I mean, that, that was, I mean, I was going to say that, but uh, I, I would think that that's a lot of people's argument today when they say that what the true definition of um, uh, free range, you know, when you see it on the egg, is that they have access to the outside. And so their argument mm-hmm. is, of course, how many birds really end up going outside. So mm-hmm. is it that, I mean, you know, you could get eggs from birds that are never outside, but still labeled free range. So I, I think that's a big argument that a lot of people talk about with the, the labeling today and that particular free range meaning access to outside. So, um, you know, good study. I think that probably, I, I, I don't know, I would say that that would probably be pretty and obvious, I'm, the ones that are hanging I'm over sure the doors small, probably go out more. Small flock owners probably see the same thing amongst certain members of their flocks. There are some birds that just don't really want to hang out very far from the coop. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, right. And so, you know, there's if there are other factors affecting this on a small scale, I think has yet to be identified. Right. You know what I love? Speaking of that, I'm picturing that, you know, in the backyard setting with the ones that don't like to go too far away from the coop, just kind of hang around there. And, but, but I love this when I see this. My wife, we've, we've talked about it before, especially when they're younger. You see it a lot more often. Um, but you, you put them out for the first time, and they just start kind of scratching and looking around and picking things off the ground, and they're walking and doing this, not really paying attention to where they're at or how far they've gotten away from the coop. Um, and uh, then they start getting a little bit separated because they're all together when you first let them out. And then all of a sudden something happens, and it's like one looks up and looks around, and they're like, I'm alone. <laughs> <laughs> and they turn around, and they just hightail it a straight line as fast as they can, running and flapping their little wings back to where the rest are. So it's so funny, and everybody has chickens out there. I know I've seen this, but I pictured that when you talked about that, not really wanting to wander around back far. That picture, because I saw it just yesterday. Uh, I had one that, you know, they all got it out into the pasture at the same time, and they're all going up the fence line, and they're eating and scratching, not paying attention. And slowly that that, that grouping kind of spreads out a little bit and then for some reason you know some kind of wander back to to their water and their feeder and there's one or two that are alone out like i said pretty far away and then when they stop to realize what's going on and it's so it's so obvious what they're doing and they realize that they're out there alone they turn around the panic. across the way yeah the panic and they're like oh no it's as fast as they can flapping and running there's little feet going back and forth it's it's hilarious. I, I I literally laugh out loud when I see that, and you can almost kind of pinpoint it. Yet when I saw it yesterday, I stayed there. I said, I wonder how long before he's going to realize that he's nowhere near his flockmate. And, and sure enough, <laughs> I was, he he, yeah, that's it's so funny. And what did he do when he got back with the restroom? Was he like, I'm cool, I'm cool, I got this, I got this, or was he just telling yeah, everybody absolutely. how he almost died? <laughs> 
<laughs> the, the ones I see that run back, they're skinny, we watch them, because they're so funny, uh, got back and just kind of, like, nothing ever happened. Just kind of start pecking around with the others, seeing what they're pecking at, you know, kind of catching <laughs> up to what's going on in this area. You know, oh, what are y'all doing over here? What did y'all find over here? Um, but, yeah, I love it when that happens. It's, it's literally like, uh, I'm alone. <laughs> they're not paying attention. They're just looking down and pecking around, and then they realize that they're all all of a sudden alone, and they're like, where's everybody else? Um, I love it. Hey, I'm gonna go to break before we come back to the uh, to, to the other ones. But I know any, everybody has chickens has, has seen this, especially when they're younger and they first go outside or they put their first few weeks outside, and it, it cracks us up. And it, it cracked us up ten years ago, and whatever. It's it's just funny. Um, alrighty, we're talking with Dr. Bridget McRae. We're talking about poultry research translated, and she probably has a couple more when we return. So stay with us. We'll be back right after this break. And this break, just so you know, a little bit longer. Uh, and this is the science behind that because a lot of times at this point in the show, people got to go use the restroom. But we do, uh, so this one's a little bit longer for that. There's some science behind what we do here. <laughs> and you learn that ultra research translated. So if you got to go, you got to go. Now it's time to go. But uh, we'll be, this commercial break out of the two is a little bit longer. We'll be back right after this. The Yard Bird Chicken Plucker takes the hassle out of backyard chicken processing by fully defeathering birds in less than 15 seconds. The compact size makes it easy to transport and easy to store. The one and a half horsepower motor and 20 inch stainless steel tub can handle two eight pound birds at the same time. There are no belts or pulleys to wear out and no adjustments necessary, which makes it virtually maintenance free. For more information about how you can own this must-have chicken processing product, visit YardBirdChickenPluckers.com today. That's YardBirdChickenPluckers.com. Sweet PDZ has been keeping horse stalls ammonia-free and healthy for nearly 33 years. However, ammonia is ammonia, regardless of the species producing it. Therefore, it will do the same great job in your chicken coops and brooders. Sweet PDZ safeguards flock health by neutralizing and eliminating harmful levels of ammonia and odors. Safe and effective moisture absorption. All-natural, non-toxic, premium-grade zeolite mineral. Contains no masking scents or chemical perfumes. Safe and beneficial to dispose with waste on compost and gardens. Learn more at SweetPDZ.com. That's SweetPDZ.com. Since 1921, Stromberg's has been a family-owned and operated business providing quality poultry and poultry supplies to their customers. Today, the Stromberg's family offers over 200 different breeds of poultry, including chickens, waterfowl, and game birds. They also offer poultry supplies for both the beginner and experienced poultry keeper. Stromberg should be on the top of your list when it's time to order your new day-old baby chicks and poultry supplies. Order online today at StrombergsChickens.com. That's StrombergsChickens.com. Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer. If you're in the market for a new incubator, then look no further than GQF. They have a great selection of tabletop and cabinet-style incubators at prices you can afford. I love my GQF Genesis Model 1588. It has a large picture window and an automatic thermostat, which makes for a better hatch every time. 
Go pick out your new incubator at GQFradio.com. That's GQFradio.com. Netzer Farms is now hatching and shipping the premier egg layer. This girl is consistently laying jumbo eggs with a higher nutrient density and lower water content than your eggs now. She is an extremely hardy bird and the most heat and cold tolerant egg layer available, allowing for year-round outdoor production. An eggshell unmatched in sturdiness and thickness, making cracks a thing of the past. Increase your health and double your egg profits. Of course, we're talking about ducks. Duck eggs are revered by chefs for their succulent flavor and by bakers for being the better baking egg. Learn more about this extraordinary duck, the Golden 300, or any of our other 35-plus breeds of ducks and geese at MetzerFarms.com and order your next flock from us. From our family to yours, feed your chickens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Visit our website at kalmbachfeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H feeds.com. Or order today on Amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of The Chicken Whisperer. Hey, it's The Chicken Whisperer here to tell you that if you have backyard poultry, nothing is more important than making sure your feathered friends are safe from infectious poultry diseases. Learn the simple steps to keep your birds healthy by visiting this website healthybirds.aphis.usda.gov. That's healthybirds.aphis.usda.gov. A message from the USDA. All righty. Thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by our good friends over at Calm Box Feeds. We're talking with Dr. McCray, uh, Dr. Bridget McCray, and we're talking a little bit about Poultry Research Translated, and she joins us the first and third Thursday of every month. If you missed any of the show, as all our shows, they are archived for your listening pleasure into a podcast. You can listen to all 1,135 episodes we've done that are all archived uh, at 2 a.m. if you want to listen and learn about coccidiosis. We got you covered. All righty, let's head back over here to the phone lines. We'll bring Dr. McCray on live, and we'll uh, wrap it up with one more. Well, Andy... You've got 1,135 episodes, <laughs> right? Okay. That's that's. And how many minutes is that total? Most shows are an hour. Some of the early shows for two hours. Um, so a lot of shows, a lot of shows go over. So we would just say that would be. Uh, at least 1,500 hours of information. So how many days would it take you to get through <laughs> from start to finish <laughs> the whole library? I'm not really sure. Some shows are better than others. Some shows you would probably turn off after about 10 minutes back in the day uh, and wouldn't be able to sit through them. <laughs> but, um, but <laughs> hey, you know, truth hurts. We're all There's human. a good question but, um, for you. 
<laughs> if you, you do nothing but sit around and listen to your radio show, how many days would it take you? I'm going to say that's uh, at least much? a month's worth. At least. At least. Well, it's interesting. I, I say this. We've done 11, uh, well, we'll just say approaching 1,200 episodes. And um, that show, uh, TV show Seinfeld, and TV show Friends, and TV show MASH, you know how long those were on air. Um, they only did, they may have, they made, some of them didn't even reach 300 episodes. So they're like in the high twos, two, 280 episodes with Friends, maybe 300 with Seinfeld. And we've done a thousand almost 1,200 episodes, that's dedication, my friend. <laughs> well, when you get to 1,200, when you get to the magic number 1,200, I've done the math. If somebody sat down and just listened to all the good information you've got, <laughs> they would be on an educational highway that would be 50 days long of free info. There you that's go. true. That's true. From there people who go. teach There's... poultry science classes. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, that's free education <laughs> right here, folks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Man. Gotta love it. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll hit you with one more study, okay? One more. Okay, um, sounds good. This one is a little unusual, and I'm still kind of wrapping my brain around it. Um, it was done in Finland, and. Um, you know, sometimes you can tell when research is done to just test out a new product. Um, and this is one of those. It has to do with broiler chicken. Uh, it's called, and the name is what got me, it's called Tall Oil Fatty Acid Inclusion in the Diet. Improves performance and increases ileal density of lactobacilli. In broiler chicken. So at first glance, I'm sitting there going, tall oil? Tall oil? <laughs> okay. And, you know, of course, there's, we love acronyms in poultry. We just do. We love acronyms in poultry and science. <laughs> so this is called tall oil fatty acid TOFA. <laughs> Okay. I love it. That's interesting. Um, so, you know, I started reading this, and I'm like, that is tall oil. And it comes from conifer trees. Um, basically, it's a byproduct from pulp production. Um, so, you <laughs> You know, we've got this movement away from using antibiotics in Europe, right? Right. And we're moving towards plant compounds that some of which we know work very well. Um, Yep. And it turns out that um, some of the compounds, um, as part of their defense system, these plant compounds, they are always under attack by microorganisms. Um, and so their defense is to um, produce these fatty acids. And some of the antibacterial effects of some of the phenolic compounds um, are, are found in trees. So <clears throat> they, they looked at um, 
free long chain fatty acids. Working, we know. Right in front of the shed. Yeah. We we know that long chain fatty acids have antibacterial properties. Um, but you know, how's it doing feed? It's a it's a high volume byproduct from wood processing. Um, so they basically distilled it um, to produce a, a crude tall oil, and um, it turns out they were using some very specific trees to see if they could um, to to see if they could get anywhere with this particular oil, um, tall oil, and they were using let's see. I think it was, oh, where'd it go? Oh, I lost it. Doggone it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, it was spruce trees, and it was, I really don't know where it went. I had it just a second ago. Ah, Norway spruce and Scots pine, um, both of which grow in Finland. Um, so, you know, they, they did two feeding trials with broiler chickens, and they were 35-day-long feeding trials. Um, They did the first one in the summer of 2014 and the second one in the winter of 2015. Um, So they used Roth 508 um, chickens, and they did not inoculate the birds or give them commercial vaccinations, um, and they used the males. One day old um, male broilers, 540 of them. And um, oh, trial one was the Ross 508, trial two was the Ross 308. What they did is they they um, randomly put them into uh, one of 36 open floor pens with wood shavings, um, adjusted the air humidity, adjusted the brooder lamps, the lights. Um, and so you know, every day they picked up dead birds, and and they designed the 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 feeding trial to have two phases: a starter diet and a grower diet. The starter diet was the the first two weeks, and the grower diet was the rest of the time. Um, you know, both of the trials, the 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 summer and the winter, had the TOFA treatments in it, and essentially. Um, they used a formulation where they had dry TOFA. Um, they had one that had 50% TOFA and 50% silica. And then the second trial, they they used different concentrations of TOFA or TOFA with palm oil and silica. So they were they were kind of testing what percentage of this TOFA would work in the trial. So here's what they came up with. Okay. Um, essentially, in both trials, the TOFA improved the body weight gain it, on a weekly basis or on a regular basis. And the feed conversion ratio during the first three weeks or 21 days was improved. Um, when they tried the two different um, TOFA formulations, one with a silica carrier and one with a palm oil coating, um, they also found those to be um, similarly 
effective in uh, feed conversion ratio and, and weight gain. Taking a look at the ileum, that's where a lot of absorption takes place in the broiler gut. You know, of course, chickens eat a lot of food, but if it's not being absorbed, if it's not usable to the bird, absorbable, um, it, you know, it can, uh, it, you got to try something else. Um, they looked at the the type of bacteria that were in the the ileum. Um, so they looked at eubacteria and lactobacillus. They looked at E. coli. They looked at enterococcus, and they also looked at a um, Clostridium perfringens, which can be a detrimental bacteria. And they did that on two days of the trial. They did it on the very last day of the trial, and they also did it on the last day that they fed the starter diet. So. They, they pulled birds out of the pens when they ended the starter diet, which, you know, that makes sense. And then, again, at the end of the trial, at 35 days. Um, it looks like the, the TOFA, the tall oil fatty acids, increased the total eubacteria and lactobacillus density in those guts on day 14. Um, okay. And, you know, that positively correlated with the... Um, broiler's body weight on day 14 did see, and this is a good thing, a reduction in clostridium perfringens. And in certain flocks in certain parts of the world, clostridium perfringens causes a, um, a, a well, kind of a, a terry cloth towel inflammation of the gut in which the birds cannot really absorb nutrients. Um, if your gut is angry, you can't uh, absorb food. And um, so it's called necrotic enteritis. Uh, uh-huh. Birds have a very hard time with clostridium perfringens. It causes that disease. So, you know, it looks like this was effective in combating against that organism. Um, so all they needed to create that inhibitory effect was about 10 milligrams um, of the TOFA. So, um, you know, the, the common lactobacilli didn't mind the TOFA inclusion and, um, you know, their numbers were not affected until you got about to 250 milligrams. So, you know, very little of the TOFA is needed to knock back the negative bacteria without affecting the positive bacteria. Um, that also corresponds to previous research that they did, you know, where they were kind of doing some some research on the effect in bacteria, not in the birds, but in the lab. So, potentially, you know, they're going to have to do some more research and see what are the components of this tall oil fatty acid, you know, drill down to see if they can find what the specific compounds are that's creating this positive effect. So I'm not saying to your listeners that they need to go buy up a whole bunch of Christmas trees after the holidays and to your chickens. Nope, that's not what's happening. Remember, this is a byproduct of the paper mill industry. So right. there are some specific distillation steps that have to to come forth in order to get this product. But I thought it would be interesting how 
you know, a byproduct of one industry can help another. So I thought your listeners thank would you enjoy for that. Yeah, thanks for um, adding that information because it goes back to what I said earlier about just sprinkling oregano on their feed. And, oh, yeah, it's going to be great for them. I read it in the study. But let me ask you this real quick and we'll wrap up the show. What do you in your mind as a uh, Ph.D. in poultry science have your own idea or definition of all natural? Because, I, you know, I see these folks that say, I'm all about all natural chicken keeping, or I want to do this all natural. But, I mean, I don't see chickens swimming off the coast of Norway eating sea kelp harvested from the oceans <laughs> outside of Norway. So I'm thinking, I mean, that's not natural. I mean, at the end of the day, there may be a study out there under the blue moon that says they saw some benefit from that, but can you? Do, is that really natural? I mean, because it's it's not natural to the chicken. It's not natural to their daily diet. It's not natural to their, you know, foraging. It's not because it's they're not swimming out in the ocean eating sea kelp off Norway. So <laughs> that's my issue. I mean, is that yeah, technically, I, I guess, it's your definition or I guess your own <laughs> personal definition of all natural because that's not all natural to backyard chickens. <laughs> I don't really have a, a definition of all natural. Uh, I'm very open-minded when it comes to um, to this particular species of animal because it is an omnivore. So as as we have taken the chicken out of Southeast Asia, which is its native habitat, and it's been domesticated and moved all yep. over planet Earth, it's a very yep. adaptable animal, which means... And the Araucana down in Chile might be better adapted to diets there in a very hot, dry climate, very close, mm-hmm. right there on the edge of the ocean in Chile. Um, whereas the original red jungle fowl, you know, it may never see the ocean or smell it or, you know, it, it's a hot climate, but it's also very humid. Um, to be really rigid in your definition of natural, it's such a broad term, Andy. It really is. The government doesn't – I mean, I know that the government doesn't regulate it, like like with feed, for example. Like um, Kalmbach feeds, their definition of all natural, and everybody can come up with their own definition because it's not regulated by the feds. So, you know, their definition – when they put all natural on their bags, the Kalmbach feeds is no antibiotics and no animal byproducts. So that that's kind of their definition of all natural: no antibiotics used and no animal bypro- byproducts used. And and I guess that's that's their term of what they consider all natural when you ask them. And so everybody can come up with their own term. I'm just thinking it's it's kind of like I think we need to find um, a palette of chicken feed from 20 years ago when we did use animal byproducts <laughs> and well, throw that up there, against the, 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 um, cause we know chickens are omnivores. They, they eat meat. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, see if there's a difference in the heritage breeds. I mean, if there's, there's really no difference in performance and it's cheaper and easier and to use the byproducts um, and create less waste, 
by using something that another um, industry would throw away, I think that's isn't that a question of sustainability? Self-sufficiency. Yeah, sustainability was my other word because um, I talked to folks and or, or, or and early on, a decade ago, when I was helping folks get laws changed all around the country, and people would want to use the fight. I want to be uh, sustainable. I want to be live a sustainable lifestyle and be more sustainable and provide. And and I told them that you know you're willing to at this point to get chickens approved in your community to for have to have them ban roosters. And I told them realistically, you cannot be sustainable without a rooster. I mean, at the end of the day, you can. I mean, yeah, you can order hens all day long. You can order them from McMurray and wherever else. And ideal, I get that. But at the end of the day, self-contained, you know, enclosed, you can't be sustainable without a rooster. So so I, I, I cringed when I heard people. I said, one of these days, one of these days, somebody is sitting up there in these chairs at the city council, city hall, trying to get things through. Someone's going to say, I really want to, you're taking my right to be away, you're sustainable. And then, you know, for someone to say, well, but, but, but wait, you, you, you're willing to have no roosters allowed for us to pass this. But, sir, you realize you can't be sustainable and you're with chick without a, a rooster. And I can, we could go down that list for, for long. But so, so you know, kind of, <laughs> that, that kind of cracks me up sometimes as well when they use the word sustainable. So, but no roosters. Now, I don't want any roosters, but I'm going to be sustainable. So it's just things that make you go. Different mm-hmm. levels of sustainability th- within each property. There you go. Exactly, exactly. How, and, and what's your definition of uh, all natural? So it's one of those things. Thank you very much for coming on today, Culture Research Translated. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I kick myself now for not answering because the obvious answer was that, yeah, the ones they marked obviously by the door are probably the ones that are going out more than the ones that are way over there in the corner. <laughs> you second guess so I was like, maybe, it's, maybe it's a trick question. Oh, I know. That's, you know, it's like, it's like when it's – is it C or a D? Hmm. You know, I'm out of C, and you know you're racing in C, and it ends up being C, and I, it still plagues me after all these years out of school. So, uh, my goodness. Well, thanks for coming on. We'll see you back here. I think July. Uh, I think we already talked about that. July, um, maybe the fifth, depending on the holiday weekend and what you you've got going, okay. what I've got going. Uh, but I think it's the uh, that. Uh, latter part. I think August is when we're going to come back and do the other poultry research translated because uh, you'll be coming back from a poultry science uh, trip, uh, conference, something, and uh, you'll have a lot more material for that one. So we'll be looking looking forward to that. But thank you very much for coming on today. Awesome as always, and we'll see you next time. Thank you, Andy. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. All righty, another great episode wrapping up here, Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. I guest today, Dr. McCray, and we talked about poultry research translated. And uh, what's all natural mean to you? Send me an email and tell me, cw at chickenwhisperer.com, cw at chickenwhisperer.com. What does all natural mean to you in your psyche, in your head, in your theory of raising backyard poultry? I mean, all natural... I mean, it's really a loaded question if you think about it. I mean, uh, how long have we had commercial feed, these pellets that we buy? And could that be considered all natural? Uh, because, you know, chickens, however, when, at the beginning of time, didn't just have, maybe since we, we define this since they've been domesticated 8,000 years ago? Or maybe at a, a more modern question, what's this, what what is all natural to you today? Um, and maybe it is, you know, yeah, we're still going to supplement with 
pellets and the science that goes behind making and producing those pellets and the scientists that develop these pellets um, uh, with all these uh, uh, nutrients that, that we know through science they need. Um, and is that, could that be defined as all natural or just, hey, you know, letting them free range? Know, chickens for all these years, and before they were uh, domesticated, just free range out through the jungles or or wherever they were. And uh, if so, do you free range, and do you only free range, or do you find that more all natural? And then I guess you could separate it into diets. Are we giving them an all natural diet, or are we giving them an all natural lifestyle? I guess you could break it up that way as well. Um, and so, well, if you have them come back into a four thousand dollar custom Amish coop at night. Is uh, is that all natural? <laughs> Chickens didn't have four thousand dollar Amish chicken coops painted to match your house with window boxes on them and curtains in them. So is that element all natural? Is that all natural chicken keeping? Wow, we've opened up a barn door here and let all these crazy questionable animals out. Um, I'd love to hear your response. CW at chickenwhisper.com. We ought to do a whole show on this. And I'll even get some folks that, that claim that they are all about all natural chicken raising and, and see what that really means at the end of the day to, to them. It's not, I guess, a right or wrong answer, depending on what they think in their mind they're doing to raise their chickens all natural. Is a $4,000 coop, is a $1,500 coop all natural? Um, you know, are these pellets, that, laying pellets that we buy at the store and give to our chickens, or those, would that be considered all natural, free ranging, having them in a, a run that's 10 by 10? Is that all natural? <laughs> these are some great questions. So, hey, maybe we'll have a whole show on that. We'll invite folks on uh, our longtime listeners, short time listeners, uh, some of the bloggers, maybe even, you know, and say, hey, here's an olive branch. Come on. We're talking about all natural and what that means to you. I think that'll be a great show. What do you think? Tell me what you think. CW at chickenwhisperer.com. What is all natural? What, what does all natural mean to you? And it can be anything the aspect on raising the bird, their environment, uh, what you feed them. The whole nine yards. I want to hear some answers, and that'll help me mold this this next show. So, uh, hey, thanks for tuning in today. Great show, great guests, and we'll be back. Uh, let's see, what's today? Yeah, um, next week, the 28th, uh, with another great show. So, thank you very much for tuning in today, and uh, we'll see you next time on Blog Talk Radio, right here on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. Let me see. We're somewhere down here on my switchboard. <laughs> is the uh, theme song. There it is. Y'all have a great day. God bless. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.